0: He reaches out with one hand and grabs the tent out of the air.
1: It was like one of the greatest moments ever.
0: And literally, if had he not snatched it out of the air, uh-huh. it was going into the pond. Oh, yeah. If our tent had gone into the pond.
1: <laughs> that would have been it.
0: That would have been it after you were sitting in the mud. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith.
1: And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're giving an overview of some amazing things to do and see in Olympic National Park, which lucky for us happens to be in our home state of Washington.
0: We've visited Olympic National Park many times over the last 10 years, and we've had the chance to explore the mountains, the rainforests, and the beaches. We'll be talking about our favorite places to visit in the park, as well as some of the adventures we had there.
1: Yes, and that includes our most recent adventure, a three-day backpacking trip up to the High Divide in some wild weather. Plus, we share a few stories from our first ever backpacking trip to one of the most remote and beautiful beaches in the park, Shy, shy.
0: To kick things off, we discuss whether or not we're going to write another book. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And at the end of the episode, we'll answer a question from a listener in our mailbag segment.
1: So this is almost like a mailbag.
0: <laughs> what, the beginning of this podcast? We it's can-
1: not mailbag, but I think we should talk about a question that we get over and over again, Well, we've gotten since the beginning of this year. Don't say it. That would be. <laughs> Don't say it. People are asking us, when is our next book coming out?
0: <laughs> well, as soon as you write it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid that was your answer. We've been hemming and hawing on that because we actually did start writing our next book, and we have about, what, 20% done maybe?
0: We try to target about 100,000 words, and I think we have maybe 20,000. Mm-hmm. Writing the books, it's just so much work, mm-hmm. and we've written four now. And so one of the things we decided about a year ago, we felt we needed a, a better way to connect to the audience, a more immediate, more personable way to connect to people who read our books and, and, and follow us. And that's why we did this podcast. This calendar year, we will complete 26 one hour or more episodes of the Dear Bob and Sue podcast. Mm-hmm. So that's 26 to 30 hours of content edited. That's quite a bit. I mean, that's essentially the equivalent of an entire book.
1: But it seems so much easier because we're not going into a dark hole.
0: (laughs) I know. Writing's so hard. I go into my office and I peck at my laptop Mm -hmm. for eight hours a day and then...
1: Yeah, so this is how it works. Or this is how the past three books have worked. Um, Actually, four books. Matt writes about, I'd say, 80% of the emails and I write about 20%, although I do a huge chunk of the editing. so. We figure in the past, it's taken us about four months, both of us, working the writing part, the editing part, and then Matt has to format it, format the books for Amazon. Then we have
0: photos, Mm -hmm. and we have some diagrams and maps, Mm -hmm. and then we got to figure out, I I forget how to format it and publish it on Amazon, and so I have to relearn that Mm -hmm. again. And then I try (laughs) to figure out how to put it on our second platform, Ingram, which is... A whole nother process. It's a lot of work. And I wouldn't say that this isn't a business because we do earn royalties off the books. But if you added up all the money we make from every source and divided by the number of hours – we put into this? I mean, without exaggeration, it's a dollar an hour. And and so this is, I wouldn't call what we do a hobby, but it is closer to a hobby than a business.
1: For sure. Definitely. And and so
0: we have to make this decision before we start a project like a book. Do we want to put a thousand hours? Because that's about what it takes, about a thousand of our hours before we get a book published. And so I think right now the audience maybe isn't big enough for us to warrant a thousand hour project a year or every other year to do. But hopefully with this podcast and what we're doing on social media and people keep finding the first three seasons of Dear Bob and Sue and Dory. Mm -hmm. So maybe if the audience gets bigger, then it does make sense to come out with a season four.
1: Absolutely. We're certainly not saying we're never going to write another book. We're saying we're just waiting a little bit. <laughs> and it's been kind of a nice break. I think the hardest thing for us is the editing part because I don't know, there can be some hurt feelings.
0: <laughs> well yeah. You just say you 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 read what I've written for the last eight hours and you say this, can you make it better? Can you make it funnier? Oh, you want it better. I was I was writing the bad version. And no. I, I didn't well, know you wanted a Funny version.
1: There are many steps to the editing because you give me your first draft and that's sort of the broad editing, right? Moving paragraphs around, inserting some things you might have forgotten that happened and all that. And then we have to whittle our way down to the end to the grammar part of it, which that really sucks. And running it through Grammarly, which I hate because you, Grammarly <laughs> always accuses me of right. writing passive sentences. Right,
0: and it's it's actually there's three of us writing. There's me, there's Grammarly, and there's you. That's and it's right. Grammarly and me against you.
1: Uh huh. Grammarly hates me.
0: No, no. Just, there's it, rules. Well, no. Here's gram- the
1: thing. This is not like a fine novel. This, these are emails. <laughs> no, no, no shit.
0: <laughs> that's why we've sold seven copies of each of our books.
1: <laughs> my point is, when you're sending an email to your friend, you might write in a passive voice. You might say, "Oh no." You no, might no, no. say the we park don't do has passive. some great. No, <laughs> no,
0: we, we don't do passive voice. I'm just
1: that's my <laughs> that's my bone of contention is that. I am speaking to two of my friends. I'm not writing this great novel. And you would word things differently than Grammarly would have me word it. So anyway, we go back and forth a lot with the editing. And usually by the time it's over, there have been a few, <laughs> I wouldn't say fights. I'd say some disagreements. And yeah, if it
0: wasn't an electronic file, I would take them. If there were actually physical copies of manuscripts, I'd... Burn them in our driveway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We actually, to try to avoid this, we actually, I think it was with season two, we did hire an online editor to edit the book, and that didn't go well at all.
0: I had to literally, since we're talking about literature, fix all the edits. Yeah. I mean, like... The grammar was incorrect after we got it back.
1: Right. And also what was funny is she circled this one section Matt had written about our first camping experiences and buying not just the tent, but then there's a... a footprint to the tent to keep the tent from getting dirty. And Matt wrote that he wanted to buy a tarp to put under the footprint to keep the footprint from getting dirty. And that's what happened. And that's, you know, Matt's OCD kicking in there. No,
0: D. It was <laughs> just OCD.
1: <laughs> so this editor circled it and she said, I know you were trying to be sarcastic, but this is just totally unrealistic and would never happen yeah. in this real is life. Ex- this is
0: an example of... <laughs> Unrealistic writing. All right, Sorry, thank you. Actually, it this did is, happen. This is and, yeah, like exactly what happened. Right, right. So,
1: so we're back to editing ourselves.
0: One of the things that I find so difficult about writing this style of book is our intent is that it's humorous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so hopefully, people got that. So you're writing comedy, but we don't get any feedback in the, during the process. We right. don't get any feedback until you hit publish. And when you write humor, when it misses, when you you don't get it right, it's really bad, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's (laughs) there's like – it's either really good or really bad. It's not like other types or styles of writing. I feel very vulnerable Mm -hmm. writing 100,000 words where a lot of it's humor and no one has given us any feedback at all. And then you put it out in the world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're pretty sure that everyone thinks you're a complete idiot well, because...
1: Well, wait a second. I give you feedback on whether it's I, funny or I, not, and well, you don't I know, seem so to I appreciate know, that. So you're
0: right. I do know that I'm an idiot before I hit hit publish.
1: But. Yeah. So anyway, that's a little bit of what we struggle with. But I'm sure, I'm positive there will be another book Hopefully. What would you
0: say did you, did you just say you're positive there will be another book? Of
1: course there will be. All right,
0: I will send you the file with the twenty percent make it a little skinny book. <laughs> it's called Dear Bob and Sue, this is season three point two. <laughs>
1: On today's episode of the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, we are staying fairly close to home. We're going to be talking about some amazing things to do in Olympic National Park, which is in our home state of Washington.
0: This is like five parks in one. It is the, the multi-tool of national parks.
1: It has so much diversity. Just in this one park alone, it has glacier-capped mountains. It has old-growth temperate rainforests. It has coastal beaches, and I think 95% of it is designated wilderness.
0: You can sit on a sandy beach on the shore of the Pacific Ocean, and then in another part of the park, you're on top of a snow-covered mountain.
1: I know. During the same trip, during the same season, we have done that before. There's so much to do. So we're going to be talking about some of the highlights today and some of our adventures in this episode. Now, Olympic National Park has been a national park for a long time. It was designated in 1938 after President Franklin Roosevelt visited and saw what an incredible place it was. Um, Olympic is also a world heritage site, which is pretty cool.
0: If you're traveling from outside of the area. There's there's a couple of ways to get to Olympic National Park. From the city of Seattle, you can either take ferries across the Puget Sound and then drive up to the, to the park, up to Port Angeles. You can also drive south on I-5 and around the Sound and then back up north, which is a lot of driving, but sometimes ferry lines are long and In the end, it takes about the same amount of time.
1: Yeah, it does. We would prefer to take the ferry because it's less driving and the ferries are beautiful going across the sound there. You know what it's like, Matt? No. I love it. All the people who live in Michigan, when you ask them where in Michigan they live, they hold up their hand and they say Michigan is a mitten.
0: Yeah. And then they
1: point to where they live on the mitten. I was looking at the state of Washington and it's a mitten if you cut off all the fingers. Oh. so <laughs>
0: Okay. All right.
1: So if that you would imagine- be, You would
0: only describe the state once. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay, I'm not going to be hired onto the tourism board, but I'm just saying if you visualize this mitten, so the thumb that's coming out from the mitten, that's the Olympic Peninsula. And the little void is Puget Sound. So you have to either go down around the base of the thumb and up, or you have to go across. So it's our mitten with the fingers cut Well,
0: it's like those mittens that you, the wool mittens you use when you go fly fishing that don't have the fingers. I, I like the I like the the idea that the fingers of the mitten are cut off, not, not my <laughs> actual fingers.
1: Okay, that's probably a much better way to describe it. Now, again, those of us who live in the area have the luxury of visiting the park all year round because it's fairly mild since it's so close to the coast. The driest months would be July, August, and September. And usually it's in the 70s. It's beautiful. Now, winter... It's mild in the lower elevations, but if you want to go up to the mountains, like Hurricane Ridge, it's a winter wonderland up there.
0: Yeah, up on Hurricane Ridge in the winter, and you drive up the road, and by the time you get to the top, you expect the abominable snowman to, to come <laughs> walking around the corner because it's it's deep, deep snow.
1: Exactly, and since Olympic, since most of it is a rainforest. If you're coming from a long distance to visit the park, we would probably suggest the summer months because after that, it's hit and miss, and you could come during a time where it's nothing but solid rain. Now, as far as the wildlife in the park, I love it because there's a lot of wildlife there.
0: There are. They have bears. They have elk. They used to have mountain goats, which is kind of cool, although the National Park Service decided that since those mountain goats were not native to the area that they were going to pull them out.
1: That's right. They actually transferred a lot of them over to another park in Washington State, uh, North Cascades, where they are native. So I think most of them have found a new home there, which is great. And we also read that there are bobcats and mountain lions in the park, although we have never seen either one of those. Thank goodness. No, no. <laughs> they've
0: probably seen us.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they now, have.
0: And on the coast, you got, you have whales. Oh, yeah. and You have eagles. And one thing that I learned after doing research after one of our trips was that there are no poisonous snakes on the entire Olympic Peninsula,
1: really actually, right. I didn't know that, yeah,
0: so we've had some snake experiences <laughs> in the past, and so I saw a big snake once when we were hiking there, and I was curious, but now i'm I'm a little bit more comfortable because mm-hmm. the, none of them are poisonous.
1: It's was one less thing to worry about when we're out right. in the wilderness. Now, Olympic National Park, when you're visiting, again, I think we said it's over a million acres. There are a lot of different areas to explore, and there are a lot of roads going into the park, none of which connect to each other. So we are going to talk about the park in sort of a big perimeter loop.
0: We'll talk about it in a big circle, going counterclockwise, and we'll start at the town of Port Angeles, which is essentially the north, a little bit east. And and it's the largest town close to the park.
1: Yeah, it has about 20,000 people and it has a lot of lodging. So if you can't find in-park lodging, we're going to talk about a few places to stay. There are all kinds of hotels and motels in Port Angeles, as well as restaurants. And as long as we're on the topic of restaurants... A shout out to our favorite place we always go to is Bar Hop Brewing. They have amazing pizza and beer, and we have spent a lot of time outside on that patio. Now, in Port Angeles, there is a large visitor center that you can get all kinds of information. The park has several visitor centers, but the one in Port Angeles is the main visitor center.
0: Now, from there, we mentioned Hurricane Ridge from that visitor center. There's a 17-mile road that goes up to an elevation of over 5,000 feet. And up there, there's hiking trails, and there's a little ski hill. We've been up there snowshoeing. That's a fun place to visit, and really in, in all seasons.
1: It is. It's absolutely beautiful up there. And even if you have only an hour to spend up there, it's worth it to see the views. Matt and I went up in August. It was actually on my birthday. And we walked part of the Hurricane Hill Trail, and we saw the most spectacular sunset we've ever seen. And as Matt mentioned, there are all kinds of hikes from there. Now, it's open in the spring, summer, and fall. In the winter, it's only open on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, as long as there's not a huge snowfall and they have time to plow the road. So it's open for winter activities on the weekends in the winter.
0: It's a great place to take families to, to do their little uh, tow ropes and, and go skiing. But It can get crowded in the winter on the weekends.
1: Now, continuing on, heading west on Highway 101, the first stop that we would suggest everybody make is the Glines Canyon Dam Overlook. It's about eight miles down the road, and you turn on Olympic Hot Springs Road, and you drive up, and you can see where they demolished the upper part of the Elwha River Dam, which was called the Glines Canyon Dam. They started this demolition process of the two dams in 2011, and it's Pretty cool to see up there, don't you think?
0: It was a lot cooler than I thought. You had for years said, we got to go see where they took out the dam. And I thought, OK, I'll do this so that we can get it over with because <laughs> it didn't sound interesting to me at all. Um, as a matter of fact, that dam that they took out is it's the largest dam that's ever been removed. Yes, And it was very cool to see.
1: Mhm. And it's such a great story because since they've taken out both of those dams the consequences have been nothing short of miraculous. The salmon runs have increased by 300 percent just that first year. We could do a whole podcast episode on the dams and the dam removal, but I know not everyone is as interested as we are. No,
0: but it, it is uh, more interesting than it sounds. Mm-hmm. There's a little overlook. They've left parts of the concrete of the dam on both sides. You walk to the edge. Of one of them and look down into the canyon. It's spectacular the, mm-hmm. the, the view, and then you to see where the reservoir was, and now where the river's kind of carving through it, it. It's a spectacular sight.
1: And as we always say in every podcast episode, check before you go. The road has been closed for I think two years now because it, it's been washed out. Hopefully, they'll get that fixed, and by next summer, the road will be open up there. But again, check before you go.
0: Now, if you continue west on one hundred and one. We get to another one of our favorite spots, which is Lake Crescent.
1: So beautiful. That drive, the the road takes you along the lake for miles, and it is absolutely stunning.
0: It's worth just to do the drive.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Although there's also a lodge there, the Lake Crescent Lodge that was built in 1915, and they have cabins and different types of rooms. And we've stayed there a few times, and, Mm -hmm. and that's great to stay right there on the lake.
1: Right. Now, even if you don't have reservations for the lodge, we would recommend that you stop by. You know, it's part of the national park, and anyone is welcome to go. Now, usually in the summer, there's a beach out in front on the lake, and it's very crowded. People are swimming and picnicking, and they're kayaking and stand-up boarding. There's also a boat launch. So there, there are lots of really fun summer activities, and it can get really crowded. But We like to just go sit in the Adirondack chairs and have a beer.
0: It also feels like an Americana scene. Families are there. They're picnicking on the beach. We've been there when it's very, very crowded. And and I got to say, it felt like everyone was being respectful of the area, cleaning up their trash. It was just a good old-fashioned Americana scene with a lot of folks.
1: So the lodge is open from May through October if you want to stay there. However, the property, this property is open all year round. So we have actually driven to the lodge and parked in the parking lot and sat on those chairs or walked out on the dock in – November and January and February and of course nobody's there but but you're welcome to go and walk around and they do have what they call their Roosevelt cabins which have fireplaces in them those are actually open on the weekends throughout the winter of course there're no other services there the restaurant isn't open so you have to bring your own food but we've always wanted to stay there in the winter
0: i think they even leave firewood outside the cabins mm-hmm. for the people who stay there so it'd be very cozy thing to do in the winter.
1: It sure would. Again, even if you're not staying there, there are a couple of really great hikes from that area. One of the most popular hikes in the park is Marymere Falls. And it's a really easy 1.8 miles round trip to the falls. Pretty flat, beautiful through an old growth forest. and, And that's a great thing for families, kids, anybody to do.
0: Yeah, it's a popular hike. Now, one of the hikes that if you go Towards Marymere Falls, there's an alternative hike,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it should come with a warning. <laughs> About
0: halfway to the falls, you could turn left and literally hike straight up. It's it's probably one of the steepest hikes we've ever done. Mount Storm King Trail.
1: Yes, I had seen photos on Instagram from the top. It overlooks Lake Crescent. The views of the lake and the mountains are incredible, so I've always wanted to do it. So in August, I roped you into doing it. Now, speaking of ropes, I had read what was coming, but I wasn't sure if I was going to do them. So at the end of the maintained trail, the ropes start.
0: Yeah. Going up this trail, you don't think it could get steeper? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's 2,000 feet elevation gain. In, in 2 miles. In 2 miles. So it's basically like doing stairs but rocky stairs. And you get to the end of the maintained trail, there's about another quarter of a mile I would say left to the very tip-top of the the mountain. And there are a series of ropes. The, the the trail is loose dirt and rocks mm-hmm. and very steep, so you climb up a series of ropes. You're essentially pulling yourself up by ropes.
1: So when we got to that point, you come out from the forest onto this open ridgeline and you can see, you can look down. You're already really high up. And at that point, there were some steep drop-offs and I was feeling a little <laughs> shaky about that. And I looked at the rope and there were people lined up for the rope and I decided not to do it. I always base these decisions on if I fall, what would the outcome
0: be? If outcome- <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it.
1: <laughs> if the outcome is – I might break my arm, then I'm willing to give it a try. If the outcome is certain death, then I'm out. And I looked at this, and the outcome, if you fall from those ropes, is certain death. But you decided you were going to go on and do it.
0: What about broken leg?
1: Broken leg's okay. Broken So broken I, leg, like broken, broken arm. arm's okay. A broken bone what about, in general about, is, is okay. Uh, a
0: mild concussion?
1: <laughs> That's would do it for that. Okay, so <laughs> stop <Would> it. You, <laughs> I'm no. just for future okay, reference. I know. Okay. Anyway, I sat. There was some nice big rocks. I sat down, and I wanted Matt to go because I wanted to know what it was yeah. like at the top. Yeah, and so gonna, off you went.
0: Yeah, like you said, there were a few people already waiting for the rope. so I had to wait and watch them go up it. And I tried as hard as I could not to give advice to the people in front of me.
1: <laughs> Which is impossible for you. It was
0: impossible because it, it took them a long time. And this one woman, she's going up the rope, the very first rope, and her partner is down at the bottom. And as she gets about halfway up, he grabs the rope. And he wasn't starting up, but he I could tell he was holding on to it and putting enough tension on it that it was causing her to – kind of stumble and slip, and and I just said, you know, you you really you really should only have one person on the rope at a time, and as you're holding on to it, you're causing her to slip and stumble a little bit because you're putting tension on the rope, and he just looked at me. He's like, yeah, thanks, dude. Got it, <laughs> <laughs> and I think as, as he turned to, to talk to me, he pulled harder on the rope, and she was like uh, yeah. almost falling off, so I'm like, okay. Uh, You guys can do it however you want. And then I let them go. That's how it went for the next several ropes. So there were probably four ropes from length of anywhere from 20 yards to 50 yards. And then at the end of those, you get to this final summit push where you have to hand over hand climb up some rocks and if you, if you don't do it correctly yeah it's certain death you you would fall and mm. then kind of same deal there people hurrying each other more than they should so anyway i got to almost the very tip top and i Decided to that. That's as far as I needed to go. Uh, the views up there were spectacular, mm-hmm. but when it's crowded, it just gets dangerous.
1: Right. So I would say two things: if you want to do it and go all the way to the top, then go early or off season. We started too late, obviously, and it was it was crowded at that point. The other thing too is if you only go as far as I did for two miles to the end of the maintained trail, it's a great hike. You don't have to do the ropes to have a good hike. So it's good uh, workout. It's a really good workout. So that was our Mount Storm. Experience. Now, moving on further west on Highway 101, you come to the beautiful Sol Duck Valley. Now, Sol Duc comes from the Quileute Indian word meaning "magic waters." Are they magic? I think they are magic, (laughs) apparently. Uh, We've never never
0: gotten into the magic water.
1: (laughs) No, but if you want to get into the magic water, there is a park lodge there. It's called the Soul Duck Hot Springs Resort. And I guess they have magic water. They have hot springs that look like swimming pools if you look at the picture. And supposedly it's mineral water and it's good for you. Now, we have never been there, so we cannot say for
0: certain. We've driven through the parking lot.
1: Yeah, we've driven through the parking lot. It's mostly cabins. And I will say this resort gets mixed reviews if you look at TripAdvisor and things like that. So we're not recommending that you stay there and we're not recommending that you don't. But I would definitely check it out before you book a stay there and see if it looks like something that you would enjoy.
0: Now, one thing we would recommend – is that at the end of that 14 mile road and you go past the Solduck resort is a parking lot and the trails leading off from there and a 1.6 mile easy walk to what's called Solduck Falls. It's beautiful falls, there's little bridges across it. And that's a very popular hike and it and, is. And, and it's it's a easy it's easy hike.
1: Yeah, the 1.6 miles is round trip. So it's less than a mile to get there. And it's a really spectacular falls. So we've seen it in dry weather when the falls are kind of small. And we've seen it when it's been raining for days and the falls are huge. And it splits into these four channels. And then it falls about 50 feet down into this really narrow canyon. And I have to say, it's probably the coolest waterfall I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, uh, popular hike. So you won't be alone. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, it, it can get pretty crowded. And this whole Soul Duck Valley, the road is closed in the winter. We've tried to go before in February and the road is blocked. So if you want to see this, spring, summer and fall is the time to go.
0: Now that parking lot is also where the trailhead is for the High Divide hike.
1: Yes. The official name, it has actually two names. (laughs) It's called the High Divide Seven Lakes Basin Loop Hike. And this is one of the premier hikes in Washington State. Everyone wants to do this hike, and it's very exclusive because you have to get permits to camp there months and months ahead of time. The permits sell out almost immediately.
0: Yeah, it has two names. I can't usually remember one name. So (laughs) now we're doing a trail that has two names. So I'll get them both wrong.
1: Our friends, Bree and Jeremy, actually got the permits back in the spring. This is something they had wanted to do for a long time. And they invited us to go with them. And they got the permits for two nights of camping and three days of hiking. Now, the weeks before (laughs) we started, as we're watching the weather forecast, it looks horrible. We
0: keep looking at the forecast probably six weeks out. Mm -hmm. and Of course, the forecast six weeks out is usually... Uh, You know, not even as good as a flip of a coin, but we kept seeing that that weekend would be rainy. And as the weeks went on, the forecast never changed for that weekend.
1: I know. And we were so worried about it. Bree and Jeremy were not. And they were gung-ho. They were going to go no matter what. And so, you know, we – if it had just been us, we would have bailed in seconds. Oh yeah, a second. we, we,
0: <laughs> we would have been at the the bar hop uh, pizzeria it's like, with our tent. Folks, you have to go home now.
1: <laughs> but we did not want to disappoint them, so. We went Friday night. We headed over to the Olympic Peninsula, and we stayed in a hotel in Port Angeles so we could get an early start. And Saturday morning, we drive back to the parking area for Soul Duck.
0: We were probably there at, what, 7.30 a.m., I think? We were there early. It wasn't raining when we parked. I think as we opened the doors of the truck, that's when it started raining. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes. And of course, we had our huge, heavy backpacking packs. I had put in multiple changes of clothes because I knew the weather was going to be bad. And I I didn't want to spend three days in the same wet clothes. So I had a lot of clothes. I don't think you had as many, but you had that big bear vault.
0: I had the bear canister. And the other thing we learned was those packs, even with the rain cover on them, they they absorb water. and, And so... We started with packs that were too heavy to begin mm-hmm. with. As we got rained on, they got kept getting heavier.
1: <laughs> so we made it a couple of miles up to Deer Lake. It had been misty and very light raining, not bad. And as we were hiking mostly through the forest, a lot of the rain wasn't even hitting us. So up until Deer Lake, it was not that bad. I suggested that we stop and take our packs off and have lunch. And sure enough, the second that we did that, (laughs) it started raining in earnest. It
0: rained harder. Yeah. We still had several miles to go to our designated campsite. So that first night, we had reservations at Ho Lake.
1: Which is about 9.7 miles from the trailhead.
0: Yes, that makes for a long day to begin with. But at that point, we had to just keep going. You just have to put your head down and keep going. You're warming up a little bit because you're working hard, but... know with those heavy packs and going up up the mountains like eventually the rain just started soaking us and we got kept getting colder and colder
1: yeah and as we were going up and the rain was getting harder and harder and the wind was blowing first of all water was coming down on the trail the trail was now like a stream so we're trying to hike through water and mud and rocks and it's slippery as hell The higher we go, the colder it's getting. And for me, one of the problems was I always like to stop about every mile and rest and take my pack off and stretch my back. If we even stopped for 30 seconds, we started getting so cold that we couldn't rest. I couldn't take the pack off. We had nothing to eat because, remember, we were going to use our jet boil and cook a hot meal. Oh, yeah. It was a completely <laughs> miserable day, can I just
0: say. <laughs> we, we finally got to a spot where <laughs> you kept getting colder. Everyone was. I mean, Bree and Jeremy were miserable also. Mm-hmm. And we got to a spot on the trail where there was a turn off to – an area called Lunch Lake. There's a few lakes actually down there. And at that point, I felt like we were dealing with a safety issue.
1: Almost an emergency. Yeah,
0: I mean, it wasn't quite an emergency, but I knew we still had a long way to go to our Hoe Lake campsite. And I knew that that was gonna put us in physical danger to Mm -hmm. try to make it there. So we called an audible, even though we did not have permits to camp at Lunch Lake. We don't recommend that you just camp anywhere where you don't have a permit because that's that's not good. It was an issue of safety. We had to get to a spot where we could put a tent down and get inside that tent so we could at least try to dry off and try to in- increase our body temperature. So we went left down into this valley where Lunch Lake was. And we were pretty desperate to find a flat spot just to set up camp.
1: The only bright spot in this whole day was that because the weather was so horrific, I think most people who had reservations at Lunch Lake had bailed on the whole trip. So the place was virtually empty. We saw one other group of campers the whole time, and that was it. So it was easy to find a campsite. Now, again, if you can picture, it's Pouring, We are soaked. My teeth are chattering so loudly. I was, I was I could, worried
0: about you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was worried about me too. My fingers were numb. There wasn't a dry spot on any part of our bodies. So we finally, we you have to hike down about a half of a mile to get to the lake. Then we had to walk to the other side of a lake to find a, a campground. So all of that took a, almost an hour. And when we get to the spot, we find it's big enough for two tents. I remember you start getting out the tent, and I was standing there. And all of a sudden, I turned and I fell down. You <laughs> fell. <laughs>
0: like, you fell. For, you went I don't even know you why went down fell in the mud. Karen went <laughs> so, down. You fell I, in the mud.
1: I almost didn't get back up. I,
0: when I saw you do that, I realized that <laughs> you were contemplating never getting up. <laughs> that this is this is it. I'm just going to like lean back <laughs> against my pack and uh, pass out and uh-huh. if, if the cold gets me. So I was – yeah, I was worried about you.
1: I also didn't mention that at this point we had hiked for seven hours yes. uphill, very steep in the pouring rain. So seven hours. I think my legs might have just been so weak that they gave out. Anyway, it was embarrassing. I fell in the mud. I got <laughs> back up so I could try to help you set up the tent. But our fingers – we're all so numb. We couldn't even we fasten couldn't, the fasteners. Well, part of
0: it was our fingers were numb. And honestly, our brains were numb, too. Yeah. We were struggling. And this happened to Bree and Jeremy as well. Mm-hmm. It was all four of us. It wasn't like we were the, the weak. weaklings, <laughs> although, although we were. We were struggling, both of us struggling to get our tents up. Our tent has a footprint. It has the tent and has the rainfly. So there's three different parts. So I Get the footprint down, I get the core of the tent up, which has no rain covering whatsoever, but you have to get that up first. Mm-hmm. You can't put that up with the rainfly on it. So I'm doing that as fast as I can so that the inside of the tent doesn't get wet while I grab the rainfly, throw it over. So once I had the the core tent assembled the wind was blowing so hard it picked our tent up and our tent starts cartwheeling
1: (laughs) away away towards a pond now right
0: now you're supposed to stake the tent down i get that Uh but this is literally it's up i turn around to grab the rain fly and the hurricane force winds takes the tent i tried to grab it I tried to grab I it. I slowed it down a little. You tried to grab it. You slowed it down a little. I think Bree even tried. And, it, and it's, it's tumbling. It reaches Jeremy. And he just, mm-hmm. he reaches out with one hand and grabs the tent out of the air.
1: <laughs> it was like one of the greatest <laughs> moments ever.
0: And literally, if had he not snatched it out of the air, uh-huh. it was going into the pond. Oh, yeah. The, the pond was another maybe 30 feet away. If our tent had gone into the pond.
1: <laughs> that would have been it.
0: <laughs> that would have been it after you were sitting in the mud.
1: A couple of things here to point out. As miserable as it was, we could not have hiked back down eight miles as cold as we were and as bad as the weather was. So we felt like we had to spend the night because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, why didn't you get the hell out of there?
0: Yeah. Again, it was a safety issue. Mm-hmm. There, This wasn't, uh, let's just You know, call an end to it and go back to the truck. That that wasn't an option. We had to get in shelter, and so we we get the tent up. Our rainfly was saturated immediately. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately, I had brought a little blue tarp that I then strapped onto the top of our rainfly, and that gave us another layer of water protection. Otherwise, the inside of our tent would have been soaked. That was genius. We got you into the tent. Mm -hmm. You were able to change out of your uh, wet clothes. And while you were doing that, I I really was worried about you. I found a spot under a tree where it wasn't blowing too hard. And I made a jet boil meal, which was hard to do because the wind was blowing so hard the flame kept going out. But I knew you needed to eat something warm quickly to help you warm up. And
1: I think that was the best thing I ever had. It was chicken teriyaki, and it was kind of soupy and hot. And I drank that. I put on warm clothes. I got in my sleeping bag. And about, I don't know, maybe a half an hour later, my teeth stopped chattering. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm not going to die from this.
0: We realized we weren't going to die, but mm-hmm. the rain was beating down on our tents. and
1: It was. And so when we were all settled in our tents, it was 4 p.m. And we were swapping some whiskey back and forth between the tents to help warm up. And we actually did a voice recording from the tent. Right. And uh, we'll just go ahead and play that for you right now.
0: So tell, tell everyone what we're doing right now. We're eating baking jerky in our tent
1: and drinking whiskey and
0: drinking whiskey and, and noon and noon. And two hours ago, we thought we were going to die.
1: I fell in the mud.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't fall in the mud when you fell in the mud. I thought that was it. I thought this is how it all ends.
1: I almost didn't get back up.
0: I took your backpack off you Uh when you fell in the mud. Because
1: can I just say that was after seven hours of hiking up steep mountains in the pouring rain (laughs) with the wind blowing and it's 37 degrees.
0: The only only reason I'm laughing is all of that's true. (laughs) So we're in
1: our tent and it's what? Four o'clock.
0: <laughs> we're never no, coming out. No, it's four <laughs> forty-five. <laughs> no, we went to bed an hour ago. That's actually, right. I'm in my is, sleeping bag. You are in your sleeping bag. now. it's. Um,
1: I'm sure it's going to get better though. No, Maybe it's going.
0: It's definitely going to get better. Uh huh. I have to go to the bathroom soon, and I'm worried it's like hurricane force winds out there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but we're having fun. We're
0: no, we're having a great time. This may be our last backpacking trip ever. You can tell by the recording we weren't concerned about dying anymore.
1: Well, it's, I think it was the whiskey. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we also weren't weren't uh, sure if we were ever going to do another backpack trip again. But no. anyway, that that was in the moment. Yeah.
1: So anyway, we stayed in our tent from 4 p.m. on. I could tell throughout the night as I woke up that the rain had stopped. So that was a good sign. And our plan was if it was still awful in the morning, we were going to get up and hike back down to the truck. But when we woke up, the rain had stopped. And I have to say, I think to make up for such a miserable day, it was... One of the most beautiful sunrises I have ever seen over Lunch Lake. The sky was pink and lit up. And so it seemed like a really good omen. Also, there was a bear there.
0: There was a bear that he left us alone. But he did hang around Mm. all morning.
1: Yeah. And we saw a second one as well. But anyway, we continued on. We we broke down camp. We continued on the hike as planned. And the day turned out to be beautiful. We hiked. At that point, we were just starting to get up onto the high divide. So the reason it has two names is because you're walking along this ridgeline called the high divide. But if you look down into this basin. It's called the Seven Lakes Basin. And there are actually way more than seven lakes. Maybe they've only named seven, but there are dozens of lakes. It's absolutely beautiful. And as we hiked along that day, there were views of Mount Olympus and glaciers. We walked by Heart Lake. It was a fantastic day and a 180 from the day before. Right,
0: right. We warmed up, kind of dried out, although all of our wet clothes were now in trash bags in our packs, weighing heavy. We got to our campsite kind of late that Mm -hmm. second night. We had another campsite about two thirds of the way through the loop. We got pretty cold that night too. The temperature (laughs) started dropping, but we got in, in our tent and warmed up and actually had a pleasant night.
1: We did. And the next morning, our last day, we had about six miles to hike out. And I got to say, it was not easy. I thought it would be a pretty easy day the third day because we were going downhill. But it was steep and the trail was muddy and very rocky and covered with roots. It was challenging. And at that point, we were tired as well. But
0: on those long hikes, the, the last couple miles always seemed like 10. I know. We made it back to the parking lot and our trucks, and first thing I did is brush my teeth with my electric toothbrush.
1: <laughs> and then the I <laughs> second- changed
0: clothes in the parking lot, not caring who's walking by because right. we almost died. Uh, and so- the
1: second thing we did was go back to Barhop Brewing and eat pizza and drink beer. But it's a great backpacking adventure, also because it's 19 miles. People do hike it as a day hike. So we might try that next time without carrying the heavy packs. It says when you look at the statistics that it's 4,000 feet of elevation gain. But I think that's deceiving because yeah. once you get up on the high divide, then you're hiking down, then you're hiking back up, and then you're hiking back down and back well, up. Well, that's
0: also not including going down to your campsites. So, right. so if you go yeah. to Lunch Lake or Ho Lake, that's Like Ho Lake, going down to Ho Lake from the main trail is a 900-foot drop. Right. So if you go down that and back up, that that adds quite a bit of elevation change.
1: It does for sure. Now, continuing on from this Solduck Valley, continuing on 101, the highway starts to turn south at this point. And... A great stop to make would be the Ho Rainforest. So just to give you some perspective, if you're driving from Port Angeles just to the Ho Rainforest, it's about a two-hour drive if you don't make any other stops. I love the Ho Rainforest. Yeah, you
0: think it's uh, – would you call it a magical (laughs) place? It's a
1: magical place. It's an enchanted forest. If there were ever going to be gnomes coming out of the trees, it would be in the Ho Rainforest.
0: Yeah there's moss everywhere moss hanging from the trees there's even a trail called what the Hall of Moss Trail
1: mm-hmm. and that's a great little trail it's it's very short under a mile and if you're looking for a longer trail there, there is the Ho River Trail, which we hiked. I don't remember. I think we hiked maybe five miles out and back, but it actually runs for 18 miles to the Blue Glacier. And we've heard that that's fantastic. Of course, it would be another overnight uh, yeah, backpacking that, that
0: would be an interesting trail to do. We saw that Blue Glacier from the High Divide Trail.
1: I think one of the wondrous things about the rainforest pretty much everywhere through through Olympic National Park is that it is green and lush all year round. So you can go in January and it's absolutely beautiful and vibrant and you feel like, you know, it could be summer in there, although it's probably a little chilly and drippy. But that's one of the things I love about Ho. So it's definitely, definitely worth a stop.
0: If you go straight west from there you'll get to the coast of Washington, mm-hmm. where the Pacific Ocean, and there's there's a long strip of land that the coastline is also part of the national park. So there's a little bit of a gap between the central area that's national park land, and then there's some private land, and you get back to the west, the coastline is back into the national parks. And there's a series of beaches there. Now, Washington state beaches are not like <laughs> California or Florida or Mexico. They're, they can be sandy in places, mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of cold and windy even in the summertime.
1: And very rocky and very wild and rugged.
0: Then if you follow this strip of land along the coast all the way to the northwest point of the state of Washington there on the Olympic Peninsula, that's National Park except for the very, very northwest corner, that's the Macaw Indian Reservation, but where it stops is a beach called Shishai Beach, Mm -hmm. S-H-I-S-H-I.
1: Now, to get to Shishai, it takes a little longer because you have to drive north all the way up almost to the very northwest corner of the state, which, as Matt mentioned, is on the Macaw Indian Reservation. It's interesting because Shai, Shai is in the National Park, but the parking area is on Macaw Indian land. If you want to go to Shai Shai, you have to get two permits. You have to get a permit for the park to camp there. And then you have to stop in Nia Bay on the Macaw Indian Reservation at Washburn General Store to buy one of their recreation permits for $10. And that allows you to park on their land.
0: All right. So then you're hiking for – a half a mile on Macaw land. And then you're in the middle of the trees, you cross into the national park and go a little bit further. And so what is it from the trailhead to where you drop down onto the beach?
1: So it's a two mile hike. And now when we did it, this was in 2017, this was our very first backpacking trip ever. So I mean, we have, we've only been backpacking for three years, so we're still kind of newbies. But that was our first one, and we bought the packs and everything. And we went with John and Lolly, uh, who had done this backpacking trip, gosh, I think six or seven years earlier. So they really wanted to show it to us. So we went with them, and it was a pretty amazing trip.
0: But you get to the end of the trees, and right before – you drop down onto the beach. There's a little short section of trail, not <laughs> not long, maybe two, three hundred yards, but it's pretty steep. And there were some ropes there uh, again with the ropes. And we learned very quickly uh-huh. with a with a pack on your top heavy. Mm -hmm. And so we head down this trail thinking, okay, it's just like any other hike. And I almost went head (laughs) over heel down the trail because my pack was pulling me down.
1: I know, but this was not a, um, if you fall down the bluff, you'll die though. This This was, this was a broken arm or leg. Right. So I was okay with it, but yeah, it was a little tricky descending it with a heavy pack. So we had plans to camp on the beach for three nights and Shai Shai Beach runs for about two miles. It's absolutely beautiful. It is a beautiful beach. Uh-huh. It, it
0: does actually look similar to what you would see in California or Florida. Now, the temperature is not as warm and balmy, but although it can be. It was actually when we were there. But, yeah, it, it is typical sandy beach, beautiful area.
1: Mm-hmm. And down at the end, so this would be the south end at the end of Shai Shai is an area called the Point of Arches. We camped down by that. And it is absolutely beautiful. It's these huge rocks that rise right out of the ocean. And then when the tide goes out, there are all kinds of tide pools that we explored. And A lot of
0: starfish. Oh, tons and of starfish. And the starfish were either purple or orange. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting.
1: I know. For, for this girl from Kansas, it was just I, – I couldn't believe everything that we were seeing. It was amazing
0: john had camped there before on his, his previous trip so we were kind of by ourselves at the end of the beach by the point of arches and and yeah this part of the coastline it's it's, it's like a series of scallop shaped beaches the shy is a couple miles long and then if you go further south the scallops kind of get smaller and at the ends of each scallop are these points where the rocks go out to the ocean and the Point of Arches, they're huge, huge rocks. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some eagles there uh, living on those those rocks. They actually came visited us that first morning.
1: Yeah, that was cool to see. So our plan for the first day, when John and Lolly had been there before, they had hiked down all the way to the where the Ozette River comes out into the ocean, which is many miles. Well, and it's they, like
0: seven miles mm-hmm. from Point of Arches.
1: Right, and that was our plan.
0: So that morning, we get up, we make breakfast, we're ready to go, pack up for the a long day hike, and we did know enough to have a tide table with us mm-hmm. because when the tides come in, you you can't round these points because the water is up against the rocks and and it's, the water's over your head, obviously. So the tide goes out. Just so happens that. I don't know, maybe 8.30 in the morning when we're ready to head out, it was low tide. And we were able to round that point of arches to the next scalloped beach. Now, even at low tide, we were still maybe knee high in water, Mm -hmm. but we could get by. no, No big deal. But then the next point was deeper water. And we tried to figure out how to round it, even though we were right at low tide and it was just too deep. However, John and Lolly had done this hike before, and they swear that there were ropes in that next beach that you could use to climb up to the land part of the coastline, which would be, what, maybe 100 feet above the beach, Mm -hmm. and then hike maybe a half a mile into the trees and then come back down onto the beach – After these couple of scalloped beaches, which were hard to cross the rounds. Now, we never saw any ropes.
1: We looked and looked and looked and looked. looked. (laughs) We
0: did find one rabid looking raccoon (laughs) (laughs) who was in a tree and he was scowling. He only had half his fur and he mm-hmm. he, he picked you out of the crowd. It's like <laughs> he was trying to figure out who was the smallest of the four if he was going to come down and, and That's attack right. somebody.
1: That's right. He was giving me the evil eye. But I remember as John is searching the, these cliffs for the ropes, you are looking at the tide table. No, actually, you had pulled out your map.
0: Right. I had and, both the tide table mm-hmm. and the map and I was doing the calculation of... When the tide is going to come back in and trying to figure out, you know, this afternoon when we need to come back, when's low tide again and all of this. But John was struggling finding the ropes and he was saying, well, maybe we walk around these points Mm -hmm. instead of do the ropes. So I get out the map and on my map, it said at that next point, it said danger, never round. Which didn't slow John down at all. <laughs> it's like, all right, yeah, but but I think I think we can get around it. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, that's fine. But then the next point says on the map says danger never round again. But mm-hmm. then it was in bold, bold <laughs> red print. So I figured, even if we just got to around that next point, we weren't going to get around the third point. No. And now the tide's starting to come. back back in and i figured if we don't make a decision quick we're going to be stuck on this little scallop i don't know for the next 12 hours
1: right without our tents or food or anything
0: right and Mm so i said not to put any pressure on you john but we don't have a lot of time because the water's now getting deeper from Mm -hmm. where we came and we weren't going to be able to get back to our campsite and we'd sit there battling the raccoon for the next 12 hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the Olympic National Park website does have some warnings and they say you are not supposed to hike from beach to beach because those rocky points are incredibly dangerous. You know, jagged rocks, huge waves, the current is strong. So you have to take the ropes up over and go on land again we couldn't find the ropes and the other thing too is you must have a tide table and know when those tides are or you will be stranded.
0: Well, John was right. There usually are ropes. I don't know what happened to mm-hmm. them. I don't I don't think the park provides those ropes or maintains or them. Or maintains them and so maybe they got to the point where they were frayed and dangerous and someone removed them so that mm-hmm. no one got hurt on them. But uh, yeah, there's supposed to there's usually ropes up there. So we got back to our campsite just in time I think it was waist high water when we went back and then and then we spent the rest of that day just hiking up and down the main beach, which was it was a great day.
1: Oh, it was beautiful. And we saw whales
0: and we saw more mm. starfish.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because on the beach, there is a ton of driftwood washed up, huge driftwood logs. And so Lolly took an hour or two and she did some beach combing and she was poking in around finding things that, that were lodged up against these driftwood logs. So... She'd put a ton of stuff in her backpack. At dinner time, she starts giving out these gifts <laughs> the stuff and that she had the stuff that she had found. And I think you got this really long hot dog.
0: This hot uh, dog holder, you know, like you'd put a hot dog to hold it over a fire, but it had two tongs so you could put. Two hot dogs on it, so I was very excited about <laughs> it was that a score. We called it a double wiener. Uh
1: huh. And she had found some kind of a Leatherman tool that had all kinds of gadgets on it. But the big score, as far as she was concerned, she pulls out of her backpack a bottle of Maker's Mark whiskey that was half full yeah. of. Well, we don't know what it was half full <laughs> of at that like point. It was lolly. brown liquid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lolly, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Put that back wherever you got it. Well, we should mention that this was right after the Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. And so the crowds, I'm sure, were big that weekend and we were there a couple of days later. So people just left their stuff. That they didn't, want to, uh, that they didn't want to carry out.
1: And somebody had written a message on the bottle and it said, Enjoy shy shy, happy camping cheers. And then it had this person's Instagram handle on it. And so I think that made John and Lolly feel like it was a gift
0: from a stranger. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> And John insisted he was going to drink it. And He's, you were
0: horrified. Right. We were sitting around the fire. John had brought a little bit of whiskey and uh-huh. he was about out of that. And so he sets this bottle on a stump right next to him. And as soon as he finished his whiskey that he had brought, uh, he was going to start in on that. And I thought, <laughs> I thought he was joking. I did too. That he was going to drink it. Uh huh. But man, he he did.
1: I know, and and he's still alive today. He so said, he said,
0: Matt, you got to trust the world more. No one would leave a tainted bottle of whiskey here and put a a nice note on it. And so, like, mm-hmm. okay.
1: I know, but it's an interesting question. You know, if you found. An opened, half-consumed bottle of whiskey in the wilderness, would you drink it?
0: That's so funny because I've asked that question many times of people, Uh uh, just like hypothetical. And It's so funny because the answers I get from people are either – Absolutely yes or absolutely no. There's nothing in between.
1: <laughs> right. I guess it depends on on your personality. Maybe. Yeah, that tells you what kind of And if you're a germaphobe, the answer is probably a definite <laughs> no. Now, you could go to Shishai just for the day if you didn't want to camp. It is a long drive. And then, again, you hike the two miles to the beach. And obviously, you have to hike the two miles back. One of the things we loved about camping there was seeing the, the sunset and the sunrise and exploring the tide pools. But it's certainly if you just have a day – it is a great beach to explore. And the other thing that's right there, this is on Macaw Indian land, is Cape Flattery.
0: It's not a very long hike to Point of the Cape, but it's a beautiful overlook. And you're essentially standing. It's the absolute furthest northwest point in the lower 48. You feel like the... If you look out into the ocean, the next thing you're going to see is uh, is Japan there. <laughs>
1: yeah, beautiful views. It's definitely worth a stop to see uh, Cape Flattery if you're out there. So if we're coming now, we're coming back down to 101 and back to the main coastal beaches. Some of the other beaches we've been to are Rialto Beach, Ruby Beach, Second Beach, and Claylock. Those are all, you know, fairly close to each other. You have to drive to each one, I believe. Maybe you could hike to some of them, but it would be definitely a long hike. Now, at Claylock Beach, there's also a lodge called Claylock Lodge that sits right on that bluff overlooking the ocean.
0: Yeah, we haven't stayed there, but we've been there a couple of times. It's a beautiful setting. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go then straight east of there, back inland to the park, you get to another interesting lodge, Quinault Lodge, and there's a Quinault rainforest. We've been there and it's similar to Ho in the sense that old growth, mossy, rainforest beautiful fairy tale like trails mm-hmm. and then there's nice little lodges there we we've stayed there
1: we have lake quinault lodge right on the lake there it's one of those park service rustic lodges that was built in 1926 and it's open all year and it, it's a beautiful setting right there on lake quinault also back in that area is the trailhead to Enchanted Valley. Enchanted Valley is about a 13-mile hike. So again, it would be a backpacking trip unless you want to hike 26 miles in a day. That is on our list. It's supposed to be absolutely beautiful back there.
0: We started back there knowing that we couldn't get all the way there. So we've been a few miles up that trail. But We need to get all the way to the end and back.
1: For sure. Now, if you head back over to the east side of the park, down in the southeast corner is an area called Staircase. And we've been back there just once for a day, did a couple hikes.
0: But some of those trails back there are very long and then go into the mountainous areas. And mm-hmm. I guess they're spectacular. We've just never had an opportunity to to do those long hikes. The short hikes we've done are, were great. They are. Um, but if you go back then heading northeast again up in the direction of Port Angeles, you get to the trailhead of Royal Lake Basin, Mm -hmm. uh, or the Royal Lake Hike, and we have done that. We did that this last summer as a backpacking trip, and that was a beautiful area and not very crowded.
1: Right. Again, you need permits for that. I got online six months ahead of time and, and got permits to camp there. I'd seen a photo on Instagram, which is my inspiration for a lot of places that we go, of this beautiful blue tarn, which... I didn't know what a tarn was until a year or two ago, but it's kind of like a very small, almost sort of between a puddle and a pond. And yeah, uh, a lot
0: of times tarns evaporate during mm -hmm. the summer and are kind of only there in the in the springtime. But this one was fairly large; it was was like a mini lake in the Mm -hmm. mountains.
1: Bright. Aqua blue. We'll post some pictures on our DearVovensue.com website. So yeah, we hiked up eight miles to Royal Lake, spent the night. Now Royal Basin is another mile up from the lake. So we got our headlamps and we went up for sunset, and it was spectacular. So that's another great destination if you're backpacking. One thing to mention is Olympic National Park is surrounded on Not all sides, but it's surrounded by Olympic National Forest. So this hike, you actually start out in the National Forest and you cross the boundary into the park. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because let's talk about campgrounds for a minute. There are 14 established campgrounds inside Olympic National Park, but there are others in Olympic National Forest that see a lot less traffic.
0: And I think there's even some opportunity for dispersed camping Mm -hmm. in the National Forest.
1: Right. They're all first come, first serve, except for three of them. So you do kind of take your chances. But again we would suggest looking in the surrounding national forest if the park campgrounds are full.
0: Of course, do the research ahead of time before you leave because these things change all the time. Mm-hmm. When when the campsites are open, if they're open, mm-hmm. all those things.
1: So if you're going to go to Olympic National Park and you're coming from a great distance to see the park, I think a good time frame would be three to five days if you want to see most of the park, don't you think?
0: Yeah. Like I said, it is it's like five parks in one. Uh And so the very different experiences depending on which part of the park you're in. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we've been there probably a dozen times and it's taken us that many times to hit all the different areas. So yeah, you could certainly fill up three to five days.
1: Now, I know a lot of people come to Washington to see all three of our national parks. So if you only have a day, and we actually have gotten this question many times, if you have one day in Olympic, where would you go? And I'd have to say probably that Lake Crescent area. Right. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. You can do hikes. It's close enough you could drive up to Hurricane Ridge also in the same day.
0: Yeah. So you get both kind of some lowland highlights and then the mountainous area.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. You know, in summing up why we love Olympic National Park so much, there are a couple reasons. One thing is, as we mentioned, its diversity. These wild coastal beaches, these enchanted rainforests, and the beautiful glacier-topped mountains. Another thing would be the wildlife that you see. And the other thing, too, is it's accessibility all year. In the winter, it's almost impossible to get into North Cascades. Rainier has limited options, but you can always go over to Olympic.
0: I agree. One of the great things about Olympic National Park, it has something for everyone. Mm
1: -hmm. It does. And if you're not a hiker... You can drive to these spectacular places. You can drive to Lake Crescent and sit in an Adirondack chair. You can drive up to Hurricane Ridge and stand next to your car and look at the view. So depending on whether you want to backpack for 19 miles up the side of a mountain or you just would like to drive and see some incredible scenery, I think Olympic just has it all for everybody.
0: Karen, what's in the mailbag today?
1: Today's question comes from Lisa in Grayson, Georgia. And Lisa sent us an email and her question is... Last year, we went to Acadia, and on the way down from the Precipice Hike, we ran into a lady who said that the hike is one of the top five scariest national park hikes. I'm guessing that Angels Landing in Zion and Half Dome in Yosemite would be on that list, but I'm wondering what the others might be. What are the scariest, craziest hikes you guys have done?
0: The scariest hikes we've done.
1: (laughs) Well, we've looked at Angel's Landing.
0: (laughs) We have. You you are scared of that hike. I I don't blame you. I'm not particularly interested in doing that either. You would
1: do it, though, wouldn't you?
0: I would do it by myself if I went kind of off-season, which there's never off-season, but there are fewer people. I think what makes that dangerous and other hikes like that, like Half Dome dangerous, is the number of people.
1: Sure. The people and the weather.
0: If a thunderstorm comes through Yosemite Valley and you're on Half Dome, you're going to get fried.
1: Right. I mean, people have died. And so as I mentioned earlier in our main episode, I cannot stand those drop-off hikes, you know, either on one side or both sides. So I don't do Angel's Landing or Half Dome. And I'm not sure what the other scariest national park hikes would be because we don't do them. No. <laughs> But we have have had a lot of scary moments on trails. And it wasn't the trail itself that was scary. It was the circumstances that were around the hike.
0: Right. Some, sometimes we have been on hikes where the weather has just turned on us. And those have turned into both scary and dangerous.
1: Probably the most frightened I've ever been is on the Chilkoot Trail up in Alaska. We did a whole episode on that. And the raging river that you and John thought you could cross. And the whole thing, the pouring rain, the
0: it well, was the just... Water was coming at us from every direction. <laughs> and we panicked a little bit because we didn't know how to get out of there. There were rivers forming in front of us and behind us. And that was scary. But that was a situation. that That's not a dangerous hike, per se. Right. The conditions were dangerous. We talked about in this episode, the Seven Lakes Basin, that high divide hike. That was pretty scary in, in the sense that... We started getting cold so fast that we kind of freaked out a little bit.
1: I mean, I was expecting it to start snowing at any moment. We're, you know, in the middle of the wilderness on a mountain. And of course, on the opposite end of the spectrum are the couple of times we thought we were going to die from heat
0: stroke. Right. Some of our scariest hikes were things that we did that were stupid, kind of stupid, kind of unprepared. I guess that's being stupid. Chesler Park twice in the Needles District in Canyonlands. Mm -hmm. One time we did it and we didn't have our headlamps. We kind of got confused as to where we were and we were so far from the truck that uh, there was not enough daylight to get back to the truck. And if we didn't figure out where we were and how to get out of there quickly, we would have been... In the dark with no headlamp. And that's an extremely dangerous place to be.
1: Well, yes, because for most of it, there is no trail. And you're guided by those cairns that are stacked up. So if you can't see to the next cairn, you're never going to get back. Plus, there were all those canyons that you could have walked right into if you couldn't see. So that was frightening. And then the second time we did it, I think—
0: We underestimated the heat.
1: Yes, Yes. I
0: think we, we thought because of a weather forecast that the high would be in the upper 80s. And it ended up being, by the time we got all the way back to the truck, it was over 100. And then so we didn't have enough water. And we we're close to heat. I don't know, what do you call it? Heat exhaustion or heat yeah. stroke?
1: It was getting a little dicey at the end yeah, there. We,
0: we weren't going to make it more than another mile. No, and but that's our doing. We were under right. underprepared, But then there were times that we had scary hikes because of animals,
1: yes, and that was out of our control. <laughs> there were times when all of a sudden we're hiking along a trail and there is a wild animal in front of us. And it seemed like every single time that happened, the trail was such that it was almost impossible to go around.
0: Well, that time in Teddy Roosevelt, where we did that big loop, and we we were almost back to the truck, thunderstorm was rolling in, lightning was starting to happen, and we ran into a herd of bison that were blocking the trail. Fortunately, we were able to kind of skinny our way around them.
1: <laughs> we had to cl- kind of climb up on a cliff face to get past them, but uh, then there was another time in Glacier National Park where we were coming back on the Grinnell Glacier Trail. And there was a huge, actually two huge bighorn sheep coming toward us on the trail. And those things were massive. And we literally had to jump in the bushes. I was
0: surprised at how (laughs) big they were. And that the one in the lead, he wasn't going to slow down. I know. Um, And then, of course, Katmai, we did a whole nother podcast on this, Katmai National Park, where they're Bears.
1: Bears everywhere. Yeah. A bears were behind us. Bears were charging us. So that was I, I felt like the entire time I was sort of in a state of uh, panic and fear at Katmai, just because you never know what's gonna be around the corner. But I think maybe one of the scariest times for you was in Guadalupe Mountains National Park when you almost
0: I almost s- died. <laughs> And we say this all the time. I know. I thought we were going to die. We almost died. Unfortunately, about half the time we say that, it's actually true.
1: It's not an exaggeration. That that was the case
0: where we had summited Guadalupe Peak. We were about two-thirds of the way down. And all of a sudden, I feel the snake under my hiking boot and I hear its uh, rattle go off.
1: It and was a he, rattlesnake. We he, did not say that at the
0: beginning. <laughs> yeah, he was angry that uh-huh. I was stepping on him. So I had to very quickly figure out how to take my foot off him and dance away.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he coiled up. He looked like he, he wanted to strike me. So we gave him plenty of distance. Unfortunately, we had to walk past him in order to keep going.
1: So, thanks for the question, Lisa. And that was our long answer. The short answer is we don't really do scary, crazy hikes. Scary, on purpose. On purpose. But we've had a lot of crazy, scary incidences that have just happened to us because of weather, wild animals, and some stupidity on our part. Do you have a question for our mailbag segment? If so, send us an email to smith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. You can go to facebook.com slash Dear Bob and S, Or you can also find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith. We like getting questions. And as long as they're not too personal, <laughs> we'll answer them in our mailbag segment on future episodes.
0: To see pictures from Olympic National Park, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 19. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to other information.
1: Thank you so much to all of you who've given us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We're getting closer to our goal of 500. Now, if you haven't had time to leave a review yet, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, even if you listen to the episode on Google, Spotify, or another podcast app.
0: Your goal is 500. Mm-hmm. Today, your goal is 500. It'll be a different goal as soon wow. as you get there. So where are you at?
1: We only need about 72 more ratings.
0: 72? Se-
1: <laughs> more. Yeah, we can do it. How many, how
0: many Spotify accounts do you have? <laughs> I'm going to sign you up for 72 so we can stop talking about this. The books that this podcast is based on are available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can also find more information about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com.
1: Our show is produced by our very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. The artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. Now, I don't know if you realize this, Matt, but our Olympic National Park stories all included whiskey, as did our last episode on Glacier and Yellowstone.
0: Yeah, well, that's an essential camping supply. Maybe I should put on my gear wall a little spot for the airline-sized bottles of whiskey that I take with me. You're going to do it, aren't I you? Need <laughs> a, I need a bigger wall. You do.